Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. So glad you're here. Thank you to Banks and Beth Ann for uh, reading scripture. Thanks for bringing Reed up here with you. That was uh, maybe the, the best part right there. Uh, thankful to Ashley Icorn and Josh Shirsey and all of those who are a part of our efforts to uh, get our, our service ministry going again. So there was a lot that was happening pre-COVID, and we tried to keep some things going, but as with a lot of aspects of church, uh, you know, the, the brakes were tapped on a little bit. And so I appreciate their passion and their desire to pick up the effort in that again. And uh, Kerry Williams is going to be a part of that. And I don't see Phil Davis. He might be here. He's going to be a part of that. And I am thankful. And so let me reiterate, not only do we want you to grab a box or two or three, however many you feel like you can help fill with food, and there's flyers back there, and you can get some information on what the food bank needs. Um, But also, if you've got an area of interest, if you've got a passion, if you see a need and you can help with that, let them know. Let members of that new ministry team know because we want to be a church that blesses one another when we come together, but we also want to be a church that blesses the community, that builds up the community, that serves the community. And I am thankful for these folks on this ministry team and their heart for service and helping us grow again in those areas. So I look forward to seeing what God does through that. All right, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5, and you'll see that on the screen behind me. I'm going to read from 523. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. And then come back and offer your gift. So do you know that experience when you're traveling of hitting a major delay or having to take some sort of significant detour to your destination? Have you experienced that before? If you have flown out of Little Rock, there is a chance that a detour is baked into your flight. Because if you've flown out of Little Rock, then you know that there aren't a lot of direct flights to anywhere far out of Little Rock. So if you fly out of Little Rock and want to go to Chicago or New York, you may find yourself first flying south to Dallas and getting on another flight and then going somewhere. Or if you want to fly, let's say, out east and southeast to Orlando, then you might first find yourself flying north to St. Louis to get on another flight, to then fly southeast to Orlando. And right now, airlines are doing that to anyone, anywhere. They are having trouble with all kinds of delays and detours and cancellations And I've been caught in that, and I've talked with others who've been caught in that, where you miss a day or you get in at three in the morning when you were supposed to get in at three in the afternoon. 
But it's not just something that other people impose on us. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. I did that to myself about a month ago when we were traveling for a quick trip to St. Louis, about six hours away. I've been there a couple of times over the last 20 years or so, but I don't know it well enough to drive it without following GPS. I still need the GPS to tell me where I'm going, and I've got one in my car that's built in, but I don't ever use it because I don't want to pay the fee to update it every year. So I I go with what shows up on my phone, and sometimes I use Apple Maps, and sometimes I use Google Maps, and I'm feeling really wild. I might go with Waze, you know, just to mix it up a little bit. And so I'll, I'll mount my phone and put it in on the, on the app, and I start driving that way, but I also have this habit of listening to something through the phone, playing through the Bluetooth, and this time we were listening to an audiobook. And if you've ever used your phone, both for a map and for music or an audiobook or a podcast, then you know anytime the map speaks up, then it will stop what you're listening to so you can hear the directions. And even though we were driving a, a path that ended up, I think it was on Highway 67, we were going to be there for several hours. For some reason, Google decided it needed to interrupt what we were listening to every five minutes, even though we're on the same road. Have you had that experience where it's constantly interrupting you? And at first, it's kind of helpful for 200 miles. Stay on Highway 67. Thank you, Google. I appreciate that. I got it. For four, in 4,000 feet, Stay on Highway 67. Okay, so in 4,000 feet, I'm going to stay on what I'm already staying on for 200 miles. Roger that. Google, in 3,000 feet, stay on Highway 67. Okay, Google, I think, I've, I think I've got it. In 100 feet, use the left lane to stay on Highway 67. I'm on a two-lane two stretch of this highway. There is no left lane or right lane. There is one lane. I don't, I don't have, okay, but I'll, I'll stay on Highway 67. For 199 more miles, stay on Highway 67. So finally, I'd had enough because it constantly interrupted. And so, smart move on my part, I reach over to the app and I mute it. You can show me the way, but I'm not listening to your interruptions anymore. I'm going to listen to my audiobook because me and the characters are just trying to survive. We're trying to make it through. I don't need your interruptions. And the map is over on the side, mounted a little low, and I'm driving. I'm just driving on Highway 67. And then eventually I look over, and I see that the map just keeps trying to send me in the opposite direction. Like it's telling me to U-turn, and I can tell the lit-up portion of the, of the highway is going the other way from where I'm going. And it wants me to U-turn, which is always easy to do in the middle of nowhere on a two-lane stretch of highway anyway. And so I'm, I'm frustrated, but I, I eventually get turned around, and that's when I see something even more disturbing. If you've, if you've ever driven and you followed the GPS, then you, you may be used to looking at the bottom left, how it is on mine. 
that shows you the estimated time of arrival. And from the last time I looked to now, it went from 12.30 to 1. And if you've got an impatient 10-year-old in your car, or you're an impatient driver yourself, then it drives you nuts. And that's when I realized I have been on the wrong path for 15 minutes, which means to get back on the right path. It's going to take another 15 minutes, and it's 30 minutes out of the way. And that's when I also realized or remembered, because I've experienced this before, that there are some highways, not the freeways, but the highways that'll do this, that to stay on the same highway, sometimes you have to make a hard right angle turn. Have you experienced that before? We're to stay on the same highway, Highway 67. I needed to turn left, not a gentle turn. We're talking a, a right angle turn left. And I missed it because I had muted the map. And one of you is going to come up to me afterward and say, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense that the highway would, would just have a right turn and staying on the same road would actually no longer be the same highway. You've got to turn. And you can tell me that. Come and tell me all the reasons why the engineering makes total sense. I'm going to nod my head like I agree. And oh, yeah, thank you for clarifying that. It doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you now. Let me save your breath now it doesn't make any sense and I am I am frustrated and I am behind schedule and it was a detour and delay of my own making so I want to come back to the passage that I started with from Matthew 5 23 but I just want to read the beginning of verse 23 and I'm going to tell you how my mind wants to finish this sentence of what Jesus is saying. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember, and this is where my mind wants to go with that, because I've heard Jesus talk about this sort of thing in other places, like in Mark eleven twenty five, where Jesus says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And there's a reason that my mind goes there. This, if you hold something against someone else, if you're withholding forgiveness, then you've got to get busy with the act of forgiveness. And that's because Jesus actually talks about this quite a bit. In fact, Jesus is going to come to this subject in the next chapter of Matthew, chapter 6. We're in the Sermon on the Mount right here, 5, 6, and 7. And you remember when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he bakes in this understanding of forgiveness into that prayer. So we're supposed to recite this, rehearse this, work on this on a regular basis and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven others, uh, forgiven, forgiven our debtors. And then you remember after the amen, Jesus circles back to that issue in particular. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you want forgiveness, but you are unwilling to grant it. If you want grace, but you're unwilling to share it. If you want mercy, but you withhold mercy from others, then watch out. Don't we hear that all the time in the Gospels like Mark eleven twenty five? So, if you're in the middle of, of praying or some other religious act of devotion and you realize, oh my goodness, I am withholding forgiveness, then stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop praying. Stop Scripture reading or listening to Scripture. Stop the singing. Stop listening to the sermon. And some of you are like, I did that 10 minutes ago. I anticipated where you were going. I'm way ahead of you on that one. Good, because that's what I want all of us to do for just a moment. This isn't hypothetical. I want you to think right now, is there someone from whom you are withholding forgiveness? And if there is, start to pray that God would open you up to extend it. Plan it out. Put a note in your phone if you need to. Give them a call when you leave this morning. Send them a text. See if you can get together for lunch sometime this week. Because what Jesus is telling us is none of this matters. If we don't let what God has given to us impact what we give to others. So it sounds hypothetical, but I am serious. If you are withholding forgiveness, you got to let go. Which is hard enough right there, right? I kind of need to catch my breath every time I run into a passage like this, a reminder like this. Because sometimes, if we can be real, we like to be petty. We like to keep score. We like to hold on to certain things because we can hold it over others. But sometimes it's not pettiness. There is real injury. There is real justice. There are real wounds that have not fully healed. Which is what makes this call to radical forgiveness and mercy and grace so difficult. But, as Jesus often does in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raises the bar. In fact, there is a phrase that shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have read it, if you've heard it, then it probably sticks out to you because over and over again, when Jesus starts talking about a different topic, he will introduce it this way. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, 
And Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount, this is not his way, not his way to abandon the law. It's his way to fulfill the law. He's showing us what it was always intended to accomplish. It was the heart behind the law in the first place. In other words, Jesus isn't just looking to be provocative when he preaches this great sermon. He is getting us to the heart of God's purposes. So Mark 11 and all the other passages like it remind us, if you're praying, but you're, you're withholding forgiveness, stop what you're doing and forgive. Now let's go back to that passage we started with in Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You notice how Jesus shifts the responsibility of reconciliation there? Because most of the time, he's addressing people that feel wronged. People who are stuck in pain and so they are withholding forgiveness and mercy and love and the message there is i know it's hard but remember how loving and forgiving and merciful god is to you but this time what does he say it's not if someone has wronged you and you're withholding forgiveness He doesn't even say if you've wronged them, does he? It's kind of vague. It's kind of ambiguous. Did you wrong them? Did you not wrong them? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Maybe they think you did, and you think you didn't. But what does he say? If they have something against you. That's it. Because to Jesus, placing blame is not the point. Peacemaking is the point. Reconciliation is the point. That's something we've heard several times through this series from Romans 12. As far as as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. You can't control them, but you can control you. And the burden of building bridges is always on you and me to at least try, which is really hard. Because I won't try to get into your mind. I'll just give you a peek into mine. I can tell you the times when I've thought something like this. That's their problem. That's their issue. So it's their responsibility. It is not my job. If he has a problem with me, how would you finish that? 
then he can come talk to me. If she's upset about something, then she can say something. And I will be willing, possibly, maybe, hypothetically, to be open to try to work it out if they will initiate. Because I didn't do anything. So I'm not taking the blame and I'm not taking the initiative. And again, I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't assign blame here. There is a time for confession and apology, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. In peacemaking, there is also a time for forgiveness, and we're going to talk about that next week when someone has crossed the line. But this isn't necessarily that. It might be It might not be, but this is extending the olive branch no matter where you find yourself in the conflict. Because the bottom line for the peacemaker is making an attempt at peace. No matter how you sort out the equation of how you got there in the first place. And there's something else that makes this teaching a lot more difficult, and frankly, a lot more outrageous. And it underlines the importance of peacemaking and reconciliation that much more. When we get to verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. This time, they're not stopping mid-prayer, right? They're stopping mid-sacrifice. You could pray all kinds of places. No one's going to know if you stop mid-prayer, but they're going to know if you stop mid-sacrifice. And this one's a little more awkward to work out than those times you're at Starbucks and you look over at a nice table next to you and you say, excuse me, ma'am, would you mind to mind my, uh, watch my stuff as I run to the restroom? Because this time, you're right there at the altar. Uh, excuse me, sir, would you, would you mind to watch my lamb as I go take care of something? Uh, make sure no one else takes it. Maybe I should put my name on it. Does anyone have a sticky note? I can... I can write my name. That's my lamb. No one else gets to sacrifice that. That's my dove. No one else gets to take that. Could you, could you watch my dove for just a minute while I go take care of something? But I want you to consider something else, and this takes a brief geography discussion. So this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is delivering this sermon somewhere on the north west side of the Sea of Galilee. He is in Galilee. He is speaking to Galileans. Do you know where Jews offer sacrifices? At the temple. There's only one of those. It is in Jerusalem. You can pray anywhere. And not everyone had their own scripture. They don't have an app they can fire up. They don't have a pocket version of scripture. But there were scrolls 
usually located at synagogues in larger towns and cities, wherever there was a decent-sized Jewish population. You may remember through the book of Acts when Paul went to different towns, one of the first places he went was the synagogue, the local church gathering place for the Jews. So you could read Scripture or have Scripture read to you more likely in all kinds of locations scattered throughout the ancient world. But if you wanted to offer a sacrifice, there was one place you did it. There's a reason why the sacrificial system stopped when the temple was destroyed after Rome destroyed it in around 70 A.D., because that was the place you offered sacrifices, the one place you offer sacrifices. And Galilee was 60 plus miles away, which we can travel in an hour via car. It takes them several days of travel, three days of travel. And people didn't travel that much in the ancient world. Most people did not have the means or the freedom. So from, for someone from Galilee to travel down to offer a sacrifice, that might be a once-a-year trip that they take because they would celebrate most of their other festivals locally, wherever they were. Or it might be a once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage. But it's a big deal. Three days one way, and then, of course, most Jews are going to go out of their way because they don't want to travel through Samaria. So they're going to actually cross over the river and travel on that side and then go back to get to Jerusalem. This is a big deal. He's talking to Galileans in Galilee about one of those rare occasions they might be offering a sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus says reconciliation is so important, peacemaking is so important, bridge building is so important that if you have gone to all the time, all the trouble, all the expense to travel down to Jerusalem, you're right there on the cusp of offering this sacrifice, bringing you closer to God, and you realize, oh, I know someone who's got a problem with me. It might not even be your problem. They've got a problem with me. Jesus says, I want you to leave it there. Go take care of that. And then you come back and offer the sacrifice. There is an approach to faith and church and politics and society right now that seems to encourage us to hold grudges and keep score and keep the outrage machine well-oiled and running hot with those with whom we disagree and always Place the blame for the gulf between you and the other, whatever the other happens to be in this conversation. Place that at their feet. It's their fault. 
It's their issue. If they would open their eyes, they would see. So it's up to them to bridge the divide. And what's worse, it seems we are often encouraged to do this in the name of God. Now, I just want you to know that the reason I'm acting so hateful and so hurtful and so judgmentally towards you is because I really love God. And God urges me to do that. And yet it seems to me as I read through the story of Jesus that Jesus is taking us in a very different direction. Peacemaking and reconciliation with others, Jesus would say, is not a detour. It is not a delay. It is the destination. And no matter how far it has you go out of the way, no matter how much it slows you down, that's the point all along. That's the big story, the big picture. A God who is reconciling all things to Himself and invites us to join in that great work of reconciliation. You can't control how others will respond. You can't guarantee that if you go to them, you drop all the religious ritual and you go to them, that they'll see things the same way as you do in the end. Sometimes they'll stop returning your calls and texts and emails Sometimes you will go to them and you'll say, hey, it seems like maybe there's a problem between us right now. Seems like maybe something might be wrong. And sometimes a coworker, a sibling, a spouse will say, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing's wrong. And you know something's wrong. And they know something's wrong. But a peacemaker doesn't then go on the attack. They realize it may take them a while to share what's wrong. And so you open the door. Okay. But if down the road you feel like there's something we need to talk about, I just want you to know I'm open to that. I'm available to that, I'm here. Not, not to try to change your mind, I'm just, I'm here. And I do think it's helpful to remember that even figures in Scripture sometimes realize that the most loving thing they could do, like Paul and Barnabas, was agree to disagree. They're going to keep going on the mission of God, but not always at the exact same places at the same time. But the message we keep getting back clear in Scripture is this. You can't claim to love the God whom you have not seen if you cannot love a brother or sister whom you do see. And that may be a physical need or that may be 
a relational need. And it's hard to sing praises about a God who restores and reconciles and brings us close when we withhold the same love and mercy and reconciliation to others. It is not always easy or convenient. It doesn't always feel right, especially if it's their issue. It's not my issue, but attempting bridge building and peacemaking are always our responsibility, no matter where we find ourselves in the equation. So if you need to, press pause on the religion. Because reconciliation is not a detour. It is not a delay. It is the destination.